Tracy. What do you want? You're wonderful. It's like that movie. What movie? I love you. Nothing else matters. And I love that you are the last person I want to talk to before I go to sleep at night. Can't be anything like love, can it? No. That's a chick's movie. I would say so. everyone, welcome back to romcom.com. I am your host, Berkeley Powell, and today I have my dear friend with me, Caitlin Terry. Hi. Hello. So today, Caitlin and I are going to be tackling Adam's Rib. It was released in 1949, directed by George Cukor, and it stars Katherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy. Before we get too far into the podcast, I do want to say we are going to spoil this movie. So if you <laughs> don't want the ending ruined for you, retreat now. And I'm going to now give us a quick little synopsis. Catherine Hepburn and Spencer Tracy star as happily married and law-abiding couple Adam and Amanda. The two are defense attorneys and oppose each other in court. When a hysterical woman attempts to murder her husband, Amanda jumps to her defense. She acquits the woman of her crime using her feminist ambition, much to her husband's disgust. Thanks to the classic Hollywood formula, both Adam and Amanda come out on top in the end. Caitlin, what did you think of this movie? It was... it was interesting. I thought that... The layout and kind of the way it flowed was so different than what I'm used to, you know, with modern films and stuff that I just, I, if, I feel like it made me see the movie in an entirely different way, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So the movie's about 70-ish, 72 years old. Um, mm-hmm. So it was really challenging for me to watch it through that kind of lens because I was watching it through 2021 lens. Yeah, exactly. And watching it through 2021 lens, it really didn't hold up for me. No, I, <laughs> um, I just, I feel like we, we just have such a different perspective than, than the people making it back then. And, you, you know, how the characters are supposed to see the situation in themselves. It's just hard for us to see it in the same way. But I also kind of liked that about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just, yeah, it was... It was interesting. I haven't seen a movie that old in a really long time. I was going to ask you because this is a bona fide classic. Um, mm-hmm. Or do you watch many like classic movies? To be honest, I I really don't. I think the most that I watch movies this old are with my dad when he makes me. So, <laughs> um. <laughs> Um, was this recommendation better than your dad's old ones? Probably not. Yeah, I, I can't, I'm trying to think of the last. Caitlin's like, this is the first black and white movie I've ever seen. No, I think. She's like, oh my God, it's crazy. They used to not be in color. I hate to say this because I don't want to sound like. I don't, I don't don't want to sound sound... like a snowflake millennial. Yes, but. My dad knows when he suggests a movie that's black and white, he immediately is like, okay, Caitlin, Caitlin's not going to like it, you know? <laughs> like, everybody bear with me, because we, we know Caitlin's not going to be interested. Mm-hmm. But it's... I want to say that's not it. It's not that it's, you know, black and white and that it's old and that it's just so different, but... It's also that it's black and white and old. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of. I mean... Yeah. Um, so, 
I've seen my fair share of old movies. I'm a big fan of the classics. I would say specifically for someone within my demographic. Yeah. Um, and I have to say part of the reason why I didn't enjoy this movie so much is I'm not a Katherine Hepburn fan. Really? Kind of blasphemous to say Katherine Hepburn is one of the, like, biggest classic Hollywood icons, but she's never been able to win me over, ever. I'm so ashamed to admit that I had no idea who that was. Really? When we went into it. And I had, you know, like, I searched her when I was watching the movie, like, doing some (laughs) research, looking her up. Catherine Hepburn and Audrey (laughs) Hepburn, they aren't related. Did you think they were related this entire time? I assumed that they were. Many people assume that. Of course they're related. They're both famous around that time frame, have the same last name, which isn't super common from what I know. They're like Ben Affleck and Casey Affleck, you know, they're (laughs) Hollywood. No, she's like a mega star, and of course you wouldn't have known about her because she hasn't made a relevant, well, that's, whoa, not a relevant movie. She hasn't made a modern, she passed away when we were, like, three years old. Yeah. And Spencer Tracy passed away years ago. But, no, they were this big leading Hollywood couple. And I don't Mm -hmm. know how much research you did, but there's a lot of spicy there. Really? It gets spicy. Yeah. I didn't get that far in, but I did see something about them being together in Mm -hmm. real life. And that's kind of all that I saw. They made nine movies together. That's a lot. That's a lot of movies. You want to know, the first thing I thought when they popped up on that screen was, wow, he looks old for her. Really? Did you get that impression? Because... Okay, so part of it is I think he, Spencer Tracy's just a gray fox. <laughs> oh, yeah. But Catherine Hepburn, I had such a girl crush on her in this movie. She looks amazing. She does. She looks really good. That scene where they're like massaging each other and they're in the white towels. I'm yes. like, girl, your body is popping. Yeah. And you, you know when she's in, um, they're having that dinner party at the beginning and she's wearing that black mm-hmm. dress that's just so perfectly fit for her, her body. waist is snatched. It is tiny. Yes. She, in real life, Katherine Hepburn was very athletic. She only took cold showers because she insisted it was better for her health and her skin. She uh, uh-huh. worked out every single morning. She played tennis avidly throughout her older years. You know, she was very athletic. She um, never had any children because she said that motherhood was too much of a commitment and she really? never wanted to. Um, and I was recently reading today while I was giving blood. And I was on my phone <laughs> reading about this movie. She was married in, when she was 21. She did get married to another socialite. She comes from a very wealthy family. And his name, his last name was Smith. Well, she made him change his name because the name Catherine Smith sounded too plain to her. And so, yeah. so Woman knows what she wants. (laughs) She's like, hey, I have a reputation here. Yeah. Um, And when she ended up making it big, she started on Broadway. And when she broke into movies, you know, they became estranged and they separated. I think they were able to maintain a friendship for the rest of their life. But that was the only time... She ever married, and then she would carry on an affair with Spencer Tracy, who was also married for 26 years until he died. Wow. Mm-hmm. It was like Hollywood's best-kept secret, too, because everyone in Hollywood knew about this ongoing affair, but in order to protect the reputation, because back in the golden days of Hollywood, I mean, normal people still thought you should be married and yeah. loyal and faithful. What a concept, mm-hmm. too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So you know, their agents and their friends, they would they were all trying to mask this romance. And the way they did it is every time, because they worked on nine movies together, whenever they were together, they kept separate homes. So they were never seen in the same place together. And it wasn't until Spencer Tracy passed that Katherine Hepburn started openly talking about the relationship. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I guess it's, you know, today, it's a little less, uh, 
mm-hmm. frowned upon than it was at that time. Yeah. But, and it's also probably much harder to keep secrets like that now with yeah, for sure. tabloid pressure and mm-hmm. paparazzi, which I'm sure were a thing back then, but nowhere near as aggressive. Um, but about the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so this is the first romantic comedy I've ever seen where the two leads are not only already together when the movie starts, but have been together for a long time. That's a really good point. How Did it say how long they've been together? I'm not sure their ages in this movie. I think it's implying that they're both probably late 30s, maybe? Mid-30s? Really? How old do you think they are? I... I wonder how they were in real life, these actors. Yeah. I They both seem like fairly successful attorneys at that, you know, at the point in their life when it starts. So mm-hmm. maybe they're supposed to be a bit older. I yeah. mean, not that you can't be it. 30 but Mm. I don't know about that um well apparently you thought Spencer Tracy was like 75 years old well so he kind of looks it he kind of looks old yeah oh as the movie went on and like you actually see them interact and him you know be him I he looks a bit younger Mm -hmm. in you know in the moment but when I first saw him Mm -hmm. I was just like he looks old he kind of looks like a heavier set and a shorter Anderson Cooper to me. Really? Like a straight, short, heavy Anderson Cooper. Another thing, back to the, you know, black and white films, I, f- I just don't take in their features as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, when I see the characters, I I don't know. They just don't, mm-hmm. it's, it's like they're not human. Yeah. Which sounds bad, but... Well, and I saw the most interesting thing online the other day where it was like, when you think about the Stone Ages, you always think about them in color in your mind. Mm-hmm. But when you exactly. think about like the 40s, you think about them in black yeah. and white. That's just, so true. Isn't that an interesting? Just because yeah. the media you have available to you at the time antiquates and, you know, just kind of imprints that perception in your mind for so long. It's so weird to me when I find an old picture that's in black and white and people are laughing or smiling in it. I'm like, people didn't have fun back then. I know. They saw everything in black and white. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I think made it harder for me to be compelled or intrigued by this movie is the director, George Cukor. Cukor. There's a correct way to say that that mm-hmm. I don't know. He'd been in the business for a couple of years. He's made a couple notable movies, um, but he's doesn't take any risks with the camera. There's not any interesting angles. The story's not told in an interesting way, which was, of course, very conventional at the time. Still is. I mean, nobody was doing, you know, courageous things with their camera in commercial films back in 1949. But his style of just... There were so many long takes where he would just set the camera and he would just let the scene play out. And it's a wonderful way for Hepburn and Tracy to display their talents as actors, but... It does little to nothing to draw me into the story. That's and, a really good point. Mm-hmm. I, I, it's not something I thought of, but I think that has a that has a lot to do with how the audience perceives it and just takes in the entire film. And it is something that's missing from this movie. Mm-hmm. I think um, an interesting thing about George Cukor, Cukor, we'll just call him George. Our guy, George, the director. Mm-hmm. Of course, you're familiar with the movie Gone with the Wind. Yes. The Gone with the Wind has such an interesting pre-production stories, but George Cukor, George, <laughs> at one point was hired on to be the director of that movie, and um, it was actually, oh, why is the name slipping me right now? Clark Gable. Clark Gable actually had him fired off that movie because he was gay. 
The director was? Mm-hmm. Really? Yeah, yeah. The director was gay. Um, well, I, I speculated. It may mm-hmm. later be confirmed yeah. that he was gay. Um, but he worked, he collaborated with Katherine Hepburn many times. I think she was a fan of his. And um, Katherine Hepburn kind of, I mentioned earlier, <laughs> she was an incredibly independent woman, came from a family of wealth. Um, and she broke into the industry pretty early on. She won an Oscar in 1933 for one of her earliest movies. And then she was labeled box office poison. And she couldn't get her projects funded. Nobody was seeing her movies. And she made her big comeback, per se, with a movie that I'm going to be talking about later on in this project called The Philadelphia Story. And after that, she uh, just kind of continued to build this reputation of playing very strong, independent characters. And I don't think she strayed from that persona on screen or off screen very often. Normally, she was this ambitious, sophisticated woman in most of her film roles. Um, I don't know as much about Spencer Tracy. He's one of those guys that he made a lot of good movies, but nothing that's like, oh, that's the best movie of all time. Another person I hadn't heard of. I've never heard of Spencer <laughs> no. Tracy. No. I love that name, though. Spencer Tracy. It's, yeah, it's got a ring to it. It rolls I mean, off it's... the tongue really well. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the movie. Let's <laughs> reel it back in. You said you weren't the biggest fan. Um, I, honestly, I feel like the beginning was more interesting to me than the end. Mm -hmm. And I I wonder if it's because I just kind of was slowly losing interest, getting distracted, like, just zoning out from just the way the film was presented, or if it's just that the beginning kind of brought something different. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't. I'm not really sure why I get that impression, but yeah, that's, that was something for me. Mm -hmm. I agree with you. I think the movie has such a great premise and I think it is so progressive for its time, but the execution was so off for me and I have very complicated attitudes about it because on one hand, I really admire this piece for tackling feminist ideas and concepts and domestic abuse, like, I mean, I haven't seen a movie this old that's tackled it in this yeah. way before. But there's this key detail that just makes all of its feminist ambition just crumple for me. And it's so blaringly distracting. And I read so many reviews on this and nobody, like, addresses this or brings it up. But the premise of this movie is basically they're going head to head in court. He is going to represent a man whose wife attempted to kill him because he was having an affair. She's representing the woman who tried to kill the husband. And she's saying that there's this double standard that men are able to just freely go and cheat on their wives without much repercussions. Unlike women who are expected to be housewives and care for their children. And it's a great way, I thought, to kind of raise a question of, you know, the double standard in female rights and things. But at the end of the movie, there is no way you're convincing me this woman should not have been found guilty. She just walks. It is. She goes off with nothing. It's so ridiculous. It ruins the movie for that me. That was definitely something I noted in my head. And a big thing for me with this movie, not all bad, the, just the legal system was so different mm-hmm. in the film than what we're used to now. And, I mean, I don't know, maybe that would have happened back then. Maybe she would have, you know, just gotten off. But that was very odd to me, that she just got nothing. Yeah. No, it was, it kind of ruined the entire movie for me, because, first off, 
tonally, this movie's not funny at all. Yeah. I don't know how it's even in this category. I did not find it funny either. Not only was this movie not funny, but this movie wasn't even trying to make jokes. Like, this movie wasn't trying to be funny. Maybe it was, and it was just this dated humor that I wasn't catching. The only scene I found even, like, remotely, you know, comical was the one where they're first meeting each other, um in court and they're leaning under the table and she shows off her um what do you call that a, uh, a slip she's showing yeah. off her slip and he's <laughs> distracting i thought that was cute but other than that there's not this movie's not funny period i definitely agree that the only semi-comical cute thing in this movie was kind of their little banter mm-hmm. in the courtroom and the way that like you know, until the end of the movie, it kind of becomes an issue. But when they just go home and just jump back into their normal routine, and mm-hmm. I thought that was oh, that was a little amusing, and maybe it wasn't even intended to be <laughs> funny that they would just go home and everything would be okay. And then you're sitting there thinking, "There's no way." Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the movie was released during this era where all commercial Hollywood films had to follow this very like rigid strict production code and one of the things i'm not sure if you noticed there's two beds in their their bedroom really i didn't know you didn't know there's there's two like queen size beds in their bedroom and the insinuation is this couple they never have sex yeah (laughs) right like you weren't allowed to imply that in movies of this period another thing is the production words the production code was very insistent that um the uh, judiciary system was uh, portrayed accurately in this movie, which I don't understand how, because how do you acquit this woman of shooting her husband? She shot him! She did shoot him, and even if you somehow can prove that she wasn't trying to kill him, shooting somebody is still a crime. Yeah, and she attempted to murder his mistress, too! Yeah. And there's the, the open dialogue about... Well, this man abused his wife, he hit her, he stopped loving her, he left her, he had an affair. Those are all things with great gravity that we shouldn't just overlook for sake of, oh, well, let's um, oversimplify this. But at the same time, even when those things are put on the table, there's a lot more to assess here than just saying, oh, he was a bad person, she was just driven to the end, and she's okay, it happens. Definitely. Uh, I think it's, you know, you brought up the point that they were supposed to portray the court systems and everything in a specific way. I thought that there were certain aspects of that that I just didn't follow. I, I mean, I'm trying to think of an example, but can we talk for a minute about the woman, the witness that she called that lifted up? Yes! To mortify her husband. husband. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that could be possible, but the way she did it... <laughs> one-handedly? Just, it just reached down to his ankle with one hand and just <laughs> lift. And she has another woman in there that just does, like, backflip after backflip <laughs> after backflip. Yes. Her witnesses were a very interesting part of the movie to me. And I guess that's supposed to be the funny part. Maybe. maybe yeah, that, that very well could be. But... And I do, I see the point she was trying to make, successful women, you know, all that. The the doctor, the chemist that had had so many degrees, mm-hmm. I actually thought that was good. I liked that part. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, you know, good to put in there. And it, it also made me think, 
you know, where is this movie set? I don't. Do oh, you know I where? think it was set. I think it was shot almost entirely on location in New York City. Okay. It just made me think. I was kind of surprised starting this movie that she was a lawyer. And that sounds bad, but this was 1949. Mm-hmm. And I was just thinking, like, did it, you know, Texas A&M not let women into their college until, like, mm-hmm. I mean, it became, on. I think it was, like, 1960-something where they let women in on a limited basis. Mm-hmm. And even then, you know, they couldn't come freely and study at this university, but there's this witness that she has that has multiple degrees. Mm-hmm. I I liked that part. I thought it helped her case when almost nothing else did. <laughs> yeah. There really wasn't that much going for them. Mm-mm. But I thought that that was good. I thought that that was well, well interpreted, well, you know, well yeah. perceived. And I... I didn't even think of that, and that's why, as much as I had issues with this movie, I can't denounce it completely, because when you put it into context like this, the progressive and the very forward-thinking things this movie was doing in 49, it really makes you appreciate it that much more, that it was even trying to, you know, raise these topics to awareness. Um, Meanwhile, when you could still legally, you know, commit marital rape, you know, that would continue for 20 years after this movie came out. It's insane. I definitely agree it has a good theme. And with back with the how the defendant wouldn't have gotten off, mm-hmm. um, I think at least I expected that the women were going to win, right? I mean, did you feel watching the movie that it was going to come out? I think as soon as they started vilifying the um, husband and making him openly yes. admit he didn't love his wife and that he beat her and things like that, I'm like, oh, okay, well, you're starting well, there's to... there's no way they're going <laughs> to yeah. be like, oh. This guy's off the hook because yeah. that's another big thing is the production code at the time would never have allowed a villain to win in the story. Um, exactly. Yeah, so I did, yeah. I just, yeah, so we... E- you can assume that, you know, the women are going to come out on top. That's kind of the point of the movie. And rightfully, I mean, there's reason behind it other than the fact that she shot her <laughs> husband. I, it, they make good points. They make important points, mm-hmm. especially for the time period. So I'm trying to think, is there a different way they could have won without her? I They just couldn't have done it any other way, I feel. I think the critical misstep here is making it to where the woman whose name is Doris actually fires the gun. I totally agree. Had they, because the case is not black and white. I mean, the case is not gray. The case is black and white. There is someone in the wrong and there is someone in the right. Now, should he have cheated on his wife? Should he have abused his wife? Of course not. No, but this is an entirely different topic of discussion. Had the writers and the filmmakers made it the situation more gray to where it was like she's driven to her wit's end, she might be thinking about it, but she doesn't act on this motivation, it would have made for a a far more interesting story because you yes. would have been like, I wonder who's going to come out on top. And it also would have just made more sense as to why this woman walks away in the end. Yes, I think that one of the biggest flaws with this film is that they didn't give a reason for the audience to want to keep watching. Mm. They had this, 
you know, this crime, this woman shooting at her husband, shooting him, you know, hurting him. And you just know that, or at least I guess you'd assume Mm -hmm. she'd be convicted. She wasn't, but you just, you already know kind of how it's going to go. I feel like there's just no opportunity for the audience to feel any suspense or any excitement for what's going to happen. I think that that would have brought a lot more to the movie. Like you said, if they had made her not fire the gun or even, I don't know, fire but not aim at him. Maybe like out of anger, just like fire up. Accidentally have fired the gun. Accidentally have fired the gun. That would have brought something far greater to the table than I think the storyline they put in. This movie gets kind of serious and dark. I mean, there's so many, like, very deep conversations in this movie that I was not ready for. Um, Notably, a scene that made me very uncomfortable was the one where they were massaging each other and and he slaps her. Yes. That was odd timing. I I understand why they put it in there, Mm -hmm. kind of, to bring out, you know, he's becoming more open with his like internal misogyny he's starting to show it more and more as the case goes on Mm -hmm. and he gets more heated and stressed but it was definitely like a a stressful moment for the for me as a watcher I felt uncomfortable and I actually Mm -hmm. stopped and just like watched and was like what is going on? I was laying in bed watching the movie, and it was all smooth sailing, and then my roommate happened to walk in just on that part, and she's <laughs> like, what is going on? I don't like this. And the acting in that moment, the, the acting in that moment is very real. Like, it, it, her voice is trembling, and she's like, oh, you meant that? Let me see if I can do a good Katherine Hepburn impression. Ready? I'm Katherine Hepburn! That wasn't that great. No. No. I... I appreciate your effort, but <laughs> I, I don't know if that was that. But back to the serious tone of the scene. Um, it felt so real and so authentic and out of place in this movie that's supposed to be hailed by critics for this being a great comedy. Yes, and I think it was like something they were definitely trying to portray with the film. It just. And I don't want to sound too critical. It felt out of place because not every other part of the movie did this theme justice exactly. Yeah. I th- the tone's that, not consistent. Ex- yes. I think that scene was important. It, you know, it made the audience, like we said, kind of uncomfortable, but that should kind of, that should be what a movie does in a sense. It should be making mm-hmm. the audience feel something and understand. And I think it did a good job with that part, but it didn't exactly match with the rest of the movie. Yeah. If that makes sense. Well, and I think if you were trying to take the movie to that place, and if you're trying to rip the rug out from under your audience and saying, no, this is an actual issue we need to address, commit. Just take it there. Definitely. Make this a drama. Go there because it's a story that needs to be said and you don't need the comedy in it. Um, the comedy was just distracting. It made me forget what kind of movie I was watching. The, the whole little subplot with um their friend that comes over and plays the piano and admits her lo- his love to her. I was like, why? That was very odd to me, and I don't think it should have been included. I don't, maybe, are, am I missing the purpose of I, his character? I think the purpose was quite literally just to get that song in there. <laughs> That's yes, the that song. Farewell, Amanda. Farewell, Amanda. Mm-hmm. I was watching 
this scene where they um all sat down after dinner and were watching that weird home film that also kind of made me uncomfortable. That stops the story straight in its tracks. No reason for it to be in there. Mm-mm. I I guess maybe to show that they are happy. You know what in I the think? Beginning? I think it's because we're watching this so many years later and I just need to contextualize it and remind myself that this would be like us going to watch a movie with Emily Blunt, John Krasinski. Yes. You know, like, this would be us going to watch a movie with these people we've seen in a movie, and we just love them so much, and if that were the case, we would totally want a scene that just indulges us in a cute little romance. That's a good point. And so, when you don't have that context there for you, it just doesn't work narratively. Um, yeah, that's why I, I don't want to be overly critical, because you and I, we just don't, we, we don't get it in the same <laughs> way that they... yeah kind of took that in at the time yeah but I, also that doesn't mean that there isn't there aren't flaws in the movie and things that they could have done better no and i mean like you say you don't want to be overly critical but you i've seen many old movies um there's more on this list roman holiday the philadelphia story also starring Catherine hepburn those movies are romantic comedies and they're better they're funny the script is tighter it makes sense i don't have to suspend disbelief this movie straight up admits that her entire argument that gets Doris acquitted for the crime doesn't hold up. Yes. That scene at the end mm -hmm. where she admits that you can't do, you can't break the law. Yeah. You just, you can't just kill people. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, see, see there. That's why you shouldn't have gotten her off. Well, let's explore that. But no, Mm -hmm. that was, uh, I thought that was an important scene. It was a good scene. And they ruined it afterwards with, I didn't think that the, I didn't think the entire argument scene after that where they're running around and the three of them, Mm -hmm. including the friend who's in love with Amanda is, is going around with them and they're just yelling and you can't tell what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I thought that was just not necessary. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but I I think they f- they continuously follow a good scene with a just yeah non-important scene. There would be a great courtroom scene that would be followed up by them just kind of walking around their house, you know, yeah. let's read the paper, let's have our, let's boss our, uh, our maid around and let's make her uh, tell us to go to work and things like that. Yes. <laughs> um, um, a little bit more about the cast, Judy Holiday plays the woman who attempted to murder her husband interesting story Catherine Hepburn like seriously campaigned for Judy Holiday to get this role she only appeared on Broadway she originated um the lead role in the Broadway play Born Yesterday and they were going to make a movie adaptation Judy Holiday wanted the part the studio refused to cast her so Catherine Hepburn said hey I'm gonna cast you in this movie I'm gonna give you a really great supporting part and we're gonna force people to recognize you and so that's how Judy Holiday gets in this movie. It was her debut film, I think, or really? one of her first ones. Yeah. And Katherine Hepburn really worked her up in the tabloid press saying, oh, Judy Holiday, she uh, stole this movie from us. She uh, stole the show. She was so great. <laughs> and eventually she was able to get cast in the movie adaptation of her Broadway play. Isn't that interesting? Now, I think Judy Holiday is a name that I actually have heard. Or had heard before this, and I hadn't heard. You had never. Catherine Hepburn's literally listed on like the second I, or third best American actress at all time. I know. I 
I can't explain myself. I really can't. You can ex- you can explain yourself fine. What, what year were you born? 2000, 2001? 2001. See, there you go. Yeah. You're off I, the hook. That already explains it, I guess. But I, I feel that I come from a family who actually really um, enjoys old films like that. Enjoys just a different era of everything. Music, movies, <laughs> just all of that and I just I, I'm not I don't I don't fit into that you don't not yet though maybe no. this podcast will convert you maybe like Gone with the Wind I I watched that for the first time with my grandmother and uh I think Roman Holiday my dad made me watch oh good for him good for him yes he's made me watch so many good films they're just not coming to my head right now starring um Catherine Hepburn's younger sister Audrey <laughs> stop <laughs> uh, if you were to have asked me that before and just tricked me and been mm-hmm. like hey uh have you seen this movie with audrey hepburn katherine hepburn's younger sister i would have been like oh sure yeah i would have gone along with it because i wouldn't know be like different. oh what a talented hepburn oh, family audrey and katherine those silly girls oh. um have you heard of the movie the seven-year itch starring marilyn monroe no. You know that's you know the picture of Marilyn Monroe where she's in the white dress and she's holding, holding it, it down. down. Yes. That, I, that I know the picture. Okay. But you know why I know it? Why do you know it? Um, Cuz you're an American. Have you ever seen Blades of Glory? Yes. <laughs> the scene where uh, what's her name? The, uh, Amy uh, Poehler's Amy character Poehler in the they do the, the uh ice skating routine where they she pops the pills and Oh He's giving I her, like, the movie. Heimlich, and that's why I know that. Oh, my God. I can't believe I'm saying that, but I would much rather have watched Blades of Glory. Blades of Glory is fantastic. Sorry. Also, I, <laughs> I think that really shows a lot of yeah. our generation's character with that right there. The uh, American class. And next week, uh, join us for Blades of Glory story. <laughs> Will Ferrell. Should have done Will Ferrell Classics as your podcast. Maybe instead. I should have. The top ten yeah, raunchy Will had- Ferrell comedies. Blades of Glory. I could have had Anchorman. Um, Elf. Anchorman. Elf. He um, honestly has other a guys. really outstanding resume. Like, this he is really not a bad idea. He, he makes a lot of films himself. Like, mm-hmm. they're his idea. He comes up with it. Some of them he funds. I watched one called Casa de Mi Padre. Have you heard of it? <laughs> no. My dad introduced me to it. We we would all, like, the watch it together. My, my family. Yes. My father's he, house. <laughs> It's I Will Ferrell, completely funded by him, completely made by him. It's a terrible movie, <laughs> but it's just, it's still amazing to me, and I would have rather watched it than this. Maybe than I Adam's should Rick. do top 10 Bill Hader movies, because right Bill now, Hader. I'm obsessed with Bill Hader. I don't think I've seen a single movie with him. You've seen Superbad? Oh, okay, where he plays the five-minute role. <laughs> hey, his name is Officer Slater, and you will respect him. <laughs> he turned in such great performance. All right, back to Adam's Rib. Another question. Why is this movie called Adam's Rib? I don't know. It's a biblical allusion, you know, to Adam's Rib. I guess it plays into the whole feminist concept because apparently women came from Adam's Rib. Yeah. And that's, oh, you know. That's, makes sense. That's why we look so attractive and sexy is because yeah, we're currently, we you come know, from men. Men's bones. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, and, oh, I brought up the seven-year itch. I need to kind of piggyback to that. The reason I brought that up is because Tom Ewell, who plays the terrible ex-husband in this movie, he's the lead in that one. So, kind of a tie back in. Um, this movie was written by um, a couple partner, Ruth Gordon and Garson Cannon. And Ruth Gordon was actually Maude in Harold and Maude, a movie I reviewed a couple weeks ago. 
And I adored her in that movie. I loved her so much. It's so interesting oh. to be able to talk about her again. Yeah, she's an actress, and she wrote this uh-huh. film. It, and again, in 1949, you don't have many female screenwriters back in this period. For sure, yeah. But I think part of it might be because she was part of a writing team. Maybe she was able to... Not... not to say that she needed to, but just because of the way the studio system worked, I'm sure the fact that she was writing alongside her husband yes. definitely facilitated some of that yeah, thing. I agree. That probably had a factor. was a factor. Um, one thing I f- feel that was interesting in Adam's Rib was how they address certain female stereotypes. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, considered a feminist movie. They're, they're taking all these strides for women um, in a time where women didn't get credit for anything uh the beginning with the driving scene and they even call it out they even say when they first when that first scene came on i thought oh it's weird that she's driving the car Mm -hmm. because even today when i drive with when i drive with my brother or my dad i i never am Mm -hmm. behind the wheel it's always them Mm -hmm. um and then they do the part where the man comes up and she swears really fast and he said, oh, something about her being a woman. A woman. Uh, I thought that was interesting because they called it out, but at the same time, she was driving bad. Yeah. Like, she wasn't doing <laughs> a good job. She was living up to the stereotype, <laughs> which was interesting. Yeah. And then another part, did you get the feeling that when she was interviewing um, the woman involved with the affair... Mm-hmm. that she was being degrading towards her condescending yeah i wish i could tell you i paid full attention to that scene <laughs> but <laughs> i just remember watching that scene and thinking she's treating this woman like she's a prostitute kind of yeah and the woman was like very timid and she judy holiday played the part very shrill and very nervous and neurotic um, so I'm sure that also kind of made Catherine Hepburn's character seem so much more controlling that situation. But no, I definitely got that vibe. It was condescending, patronizing. It almost seemed like, I'm going to do you this service and represent you. Um, well, that, but also um, also the uh, when they called the mistress as a witness. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh, when Jean she Hagen, was up there. Yeah. Yes, when she was on the stand. And uh, Catherine Hepburn was kind of like treating her as if she was a mistress, yeah. mistress, like a prostitute, kind of. She's a woman, too. Yeah. I mean, she is. She did something bad. She shouldn't have done it, so but she is So did the person you're defending who tried exactly. to murder her. Who tried to kill her husband. Have you seen Singing in the Rain? No. Your dad hasn't forced you to watch Singing in the Rain? No. No? He has not. Okay, well, that's irrelevant. But um, Jean Hagen, who plays the mistress in this movie, plays... um. The actress with the terrible voice in Singing in the Rain. And I just thought that was <laughs> really? Like, yeah. She has this very squeaky voice in Singing in the Rain. And I will not do an impression of that just because <laughs> my Catherine Hepburn one is too good. Can't yes. end on a bad note. No, we want to keep that going. But, um... <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't notice that. So it's almost like the movie knows it has a good message going on for it, but it can't get out of it. It's too much in its head. Like, it can't actually apply these concepts yeah, it just doesn't necessarily give off that theme in such a bold way. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, it just doesn't convey the 
the purpose as well as it could, I feel. And this is this is because the movie came out in the 40s, but you're telling this mo- you're telling this movie about how women are equal to men, how women are powerful, how women should be taken more seriously. Yet you have a male director, one of the writers is male. I guarantee you everyone else working on this production was a male. Um, you know, Green Book won the Oscar for Best uh, Picture a few years ago, and a lot of people criticize this movie that tackles racism for not featuring any black people in the crew mm-hmm. and the cast other than roles specifically written for them. Yeah. Um, which I think is a fair assessment for this one, too. You know, if we're going to talk about feminis- feminism and if we're going to talk about, you know, eliminating internal misogyny, we have to do it from within, you know? I think that we've hit on this several times the way that they just don't do the feminist movement justice Mm -hmm. in this film is you pick a crime that just is completely the woman's fault and we we kind of talked about that but like if you really wanted to portray feminism in in a good way Pick something that you yeah. can really build upon that with. Mm-hmm. You no, know, like we talked about the crime before. Make it gray. Make it to something to where the audience really is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is an example of internal misogyny just working against her constantly. Yes. And I just, it it seems to me that you're not going to get the audience to agree with you if she did commit a crime. Mm-hmm. And the way... I thought that Katherine Hepburn was, she played a good attorney. She was invested. She spoke her mind and she utilized a lot of effective methods. And it just would have worked so much better if they picked something that the audience could relate to or they mm-hmm. could they could sympathize with the defendant. Yeah, if they had selected something that they could latch to. Yeah, or even that they're being misogynistic against this woman, but mm-hmm. they're really, I mean, in ways they are, but they're really not. She took a loaded gun up to an apartment building. Yes. And she <laughs> leashed fire. She did something wrong. <laughs> yeah. You cannot argue that she did not do something wrong. I'm trying to think, you know, I've never seen this movie, so I can't believe I'm bringing it up, but modern movies tackle this topic of um, misogyny in more, uh, appropriate ways i think of like aaron brockovich you know movies like that female heroes just once it kills like i've heard of that movie too perfectly <laughs> just blank stares across the floor. you're like yep that's a good one but no i think i like this movie because i think it sets a template it gets us starting to kind of navigate this territory it shows us that hollywood can take on movies like this and it will work and it will be a commercial and critical success and i think that's why i do respect it is i think it did a lot of the groundwork for future movies to tackle this kind of material. Yes, that's it's it's a, it's an important film. Mm-hmm. It it has a good message <laughs> underneath it all. Yeah, it's just maybe before you say it's the sixth best romantic comedy of yes. all time, let it be a comedy for one. Yeah, um, <laughs> make it actually funny. <laughs> make it have a romance. It really wasn't. I guess it was supposed to be romantic, but I don't understand how this movie qualifies as a romance or a comedy. Yes, it it just. I don't know. It's more of a courtroom drama than anything to me. Yes. Uh And the courtroom scenes, to me, were the most interesting. Mm -hmm. I don't know about you, but when 
they cut off to them. <laughs> Let's talk about the transitions for a second. Oh, the, it, it was go, so bad. It would go from a serious courtroom scene to some uplifting music and it a would little be banner. Like, it was like a little show card. Yes. This evening. That later evening. that afternoon. You know, it was like I was watching Spongebob five yes. hours later. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was so cheesy and it, t- it completely removes you from the film watching experience because you're reminded, oh yeah, this is fake. Yes, this it, it just eliminated any flow that the movie mm-hmm. had. It didn't have much to begin with. It was like, this but, is a fabricated story you're watching. Look, yes, title cards, yes. curtains, draw. Yeah, it was, <laughs> that was bad too. Also, the entire ending where they're like, all right, we don't see eye to eye, we're getting a divorce. And then within five minutes, they're like, oh, you have a tear in your eye, Spencer Tracy, I'm so sorry, I won't divorce you. And then he admits that they were fake tears. They were fake tears, yes. And then he admits, well, men can cry like women too. And which is, you know, in the movie's attempt to be very progressive and forward-thinking. It's also a very misogynistic thing to, like, insinuate that, like, oh, men can cry. Yeah. Because we know you think that men can't (laughs) cry. It's like, actually, nobody thinks that. That's just you, Hollywood, being sexist. Yes. And then I guess they tried to end on a funny note. Where they get get in the same bed. They do. Look at that. They do hint toward the mm, S-E-X. S-E-X. They're going to do it. I don't know why they have two beds in their bedroom if they're going to do it, but... Let's just have this curtain in here, and he's going to shut it. Maybe. And you can think what you want, but they're going to Well, you recently started watching it. The Crown, and Philip yes. and Elizabeth have their own beds. Well, didn't all um, couples, or at least maybe elite couples back then, That's sleep what in separate I think. beds? I think it's a sign of affluence. I cannot wait until I'm married and I get my own king side. <laughs> I want a California king in my own, like, West Wing. <laughs> well, because we both watched Downton Abbey, and they slept in separate bedrooms, didn't they? Yes, they did. They had completely separate rooms. It must be a sign of affluence. I think it is. Yeah, people listening to this podcast are probably gonna be like, my parents have been in separate beds all their life. <laughs> These poor fuckers. Hey, you know, um, we've talked about me having no knowledge. I, I love Downton Abbey, okay? Yeah. I watched the entire, I've watched it twice. Mm-hmm. I live for Downton Abbey. Yeah. I just take it all in and I flourish. <laughs> you flourish? Um, so that is one thing going for me. Is Downton Abbey? Yes. So you have never heard of Catherine Hepburn or Spencer Tracy, but at least you can tell me the causes of every character's death and every storyline, plotline. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I... Downton Abbey just brings something to the, ta- to the table that this movie does not for me. <laughs> this movie does not. So, um, to most of the people who are deceased that worked on Adam's Rib, we just ask you to uh, <laughs> look to Downton Abbey for reference. Yes. Uh, take some tips from um, that series. Was it Masterpiece Theater? Um, yeah. Uh, refer Masterpiece to that. Classic, right? Oh, I'm so Berkeley, sorry. Come on. That was offensive. I'm Masterpiece so sorry. Masterpiece Classic. Don't you miss the little opening? Like, Oh, this is yes. masterpiece classic. See, that's a part that I can actually forget those curtains. They actually serve a purpose. Yes. You know, the, uh, we're really off topic. We are. But I love Downton Abbey. Any final thoughts on this movie? I Please, be quiet longer. I need more for me to edit out. <laughs> There's just... My final thoughts would probably be good film in theory. Mm-hmm. Nice underlying themes... I think they were really they're really doing something for their time period and I I don't disregard it all the creators of this movie. I I You're I, really trying not to offend all I'm these trying, dead people. Well, I I want to give them props. I don't want to say that mm-hmm. this film is necessarily bad because we didn't find it funny or romantic or we didn't yeah. maybe get what they were putting out there for us. Mm-hmm. 
it just it's one of those films that had potential Mm -hmm. but it maybe wasn't executed in the best way i would say i agree with you the concept is great and the concept needs to be discussed and i can't deny Catherine hepper and spencer tracy have great chemistry they were yeah they were wonderful together the two were canoodling for 26 years so it all makes sense (laughs) But I will say, if you're a fan of Spencer Tracy and Katherine Hepburn and you want to see them take on another kind of social issues topic film, watch Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. It's better. It's in color, if that's what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's the last movie Spencer Tracy did before he passed away. How unfortunate. Um, that stars the two of them, both in similar roles, and it's just better done, I think, than this one was. I appreciate and I respect the movie for what it was, but not funny, not romantic. <laughs> in my opinion, doesn't belong on this list, and I don't understand why critics and fans alike praise this. Because, like I said, fatal flaw, the woman they quit at the end of this movie should be in jail behind yes. bars. She is not safe. She kills people. De- definitely didn't didn't pick the best... Um plot line <laughs> overall plot line. yeah so performances are good cinematography wise i thought it was every image in this movie is so clear like yes the, the 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 photo itself looks great i think the production was great and mm-hmm. the casting was mm-hmm. great mm-hmm. but the story falls flat yeah well, i mean we're honestly probably being picky too i mean we're watching this movie yeah. to find flaws and to criticize it. Mm-hmm. But we're allowed to because that's kind of what we do. This yeah. is uh, America. It's we my, live in America. We live in America and we run a podcast specifically about scrutinizing movies. So yes. sorry. Well, Caitlin, thank you so, so much for yes, joining me. thank you. And watching this. I, it was good to watch even if... You feel Even culture. if I didn't necessarily enjoy it, it was a nice change of pace a for nice my change of pace. life. Yes. Yeah, so now you can go back to watching Downton Abbey. Yes. All right, thank y'all so much for listening. Please join me next week when we talk about one of my absolute favorites of all time. It's When Harry Met Sally. How should we close off the podcast? More Catherine Hepburn impressions? Yeah. You read my mind. You do a Catherine Hepburn impression. I could not even... I have no recollection of what you sounded like. You, I did not retain it at all. Thank you for coming. I'm Catherine Hepburn. <laughs>